Thanks for downloading or purchasing this sermon from Christchurch Forward. To find out more, visit forwardchurch.co.uk or join us on Sundays. Dear friends, I am not writing a new command, but an old one, which you have had since the beginning. This old command is the message you have heard, yet I am writing you a new command, as truth is seen in him and you, because the darkness is passing and the true light is already shining. Anyone who claims to be in the light but hates his brother is still in the darkness. Whoever loves his brother in the light and there is nothing in him to make him stumble. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks around in the darkness. He does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded him. I write to you, dear children, because your sins have been forgiven on account of his name. I write to you, fathers, because you have known him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. I write to you, dear children, because you have known the Father. I write to you, fathers, because you have known him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you are strong, and the word of God lives in you, and you have overcome the evil one. Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For everything in the world, the cravings of sinful man, the lust of his eyes, and the boasting of what he has and does, comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away, but the man who does the will of God lives forever. Dear children, this is the last hour. And as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have come. This is how we know it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they did not really belong to us. For if they had belonged to us, they would have remained with us. But their going showed that none of them belonged to us. But you have an anointing from the Holy One, and all of you know the truth. I do not write to you because you do not know the truth, but because you do know it, and because no lie comes from the truth. Who is the liar? It is the man who denies that Jesus is the Christ. Such a man is the Antichrist. He denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever acknowledges the Son has the Father also. See that what you have heard from the beginning remains in you. If it does, 
you also will remain in the Son and in the Father. And this is what he promised us, even eternal life. I am writing these things to you about those who are trying to lead you astray. As for you, the anointing you received from him remains in you, and you do not need anyone to teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about all things, and as that anointing is real, not counterfeit, just as it has taught you, remain in him. Heavenly Father, we pray that as we come to your word now, you would speak to us, open our ears to hear your truth, warm our hearts as we hear your fatherly voice. In Jesus' name, amen. Do take a seat. Do please turn uh, back to 1 John chapter 2 uh, with me in those red Bibles, page 1225. It's quite a long passage, uh, a few different sections to it, and it'll certainly help me and help you as well if you've got it to cite. There's, uh, there's a lovely thing that happens when a parent is teaching their child how to talk. Imagine the sort of one-year-old just sitting and uh, the parent holds up a ball and says, ball, 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 ball. And the uh, child kind of concentrates, screws up their face and says, bub. And the great thing is that what happens next isn't this, it isn't. Bub, it's a ball. Bub, it's it's awful. Didn't sound anything like ball. You are awful at talking. At least I presume if you're a parent that isn't what you did. (laughs) No, instead what happens like this, the child says bub and the parent says yes. Bub, 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 bub. And for a while now, bub becomes ball, and no one can understand what the child is saying, apart from the parent. It lasts till they're about 11. And uh, it's wonderful. And how encouraging to the child. Now, it's not that the parent thinks that uh, they've cracked it, that no improvement is necessary, that the husband or wife doesn't come home to be told, we have a child who speaks now, we're done. No, they know that... There's stuff to be done, but they're delighted because their child can speak. What does God think when he looks at you? What does he think? If you're a Christian, what does he think when he sees your life? It strikes me that for many of us, even if we've been Christians for a long while, Our natural response to that question is to think, oh yeah, when God sees my life, he he thinks, awful, nothing like it. Think that we're a disappointment. But God is a loving father. And this passage, and indeed, I think the whole tone of 1 John that you're getting to look at together, is that when God sees us, he says, yes, you're doing it. Bub, the Christian life. Not that we're 
perfect, not that he doesn't realise that there are improvements to be made, but he delights in his children. And what an encouragement it is to hear that. Just have a look with me at verses 12 to 14. It's the bit that's sort of broken up in the way that it's printed. It looks a bit like a, a song. And see how the phrases come. What a positive and warm appraisal is given of these Christians that John is writing to. And I take it it's not because they were unusual. No, this is what if you are a Christian, God wants you to hear him say to you. Comes in different uh, phrases. And dear children, remember that's how John refers to the whole church. Even in chapter 2 verse 1, 18 and 28. Begin, dear children, talking to everyone. And then you have sort of old and young as well. But see these descriptions. Verse 12, your sins have been forgiven on account of his name. Next, you've known him who is from the beginning. You have overcome the evil one. It's over the page, isn't it? Uh, You have known the father. You've known him who's from the beginning. You are strong and the word of God lives in you. And you have overcome the evil one. These phrases, it's what God sees when he sees you. And we need that encouragement to keep going. Picture this time the parent, uh, this time teaching their child to ride a bike. Done this for us, that's been down at Encliffe Park. You get them on the grass because you know probably what's going to happen. And uh, to start with, you, uh, you kind of hold on to the seat behind where they're sitting and you run along with them. And, uh, but then there comes a point, either because you think they're probably ready for this now, or you think, I'm pretty tired now, <laughs> where, where you let go, and, but then you carry on running along beside them. And as you run beside them, you say things like, that's it, keep pedalling, don't look down. They're not looking down, but you don't want them to look down. And so you say, don't look down, and you say, keep the handlebars straight, they are straight, but you want them to keep them straight. And so you say, keep the handlebars straight. That's it, you can ride a bike. For a bit. And and then you try again. See, we don't want them to lose confidence. We want them to keep going. And so we encourage them. Tell them the things that they are doing, that they should continue. We tell them not to do stuff that actually they're not doing, but they better not start. And so they ride. And Christians, it's so easy to lose confidence because running alongside us are a whole load of other voices. Church, you don't want to be one of them, do you? You're a Christian. You're missing out on the good life if you're a Christian. Or you're missing out on the good life because you're the wrong sort of Christian. And anything like that, it can make us look down, stop pedaling, twist the handlebars and fall off. And so we want to hear God's fatherly encouragements. That we're doing okay, we're doing the right things, keep going. And I think in this passage we get three encouragements like that. Not things that make us Christians... And that's what Jesus does for us. But three things that show that we're Christians and which help us to follow Jesus. Here they are, that, uh, that you love God's family, that you don't love the world, 
and that you know the truth. Love God's family. Don't love the world. Know the truth. Love God's family. That's the first one. It's verses 7 to 11. Uh, Let me read verses 9 and 10, just in the middle of that section. Anyone who claims to be in the light but hates his brother is still in the darkness. Whoever loves his brother lives in the light and there's nothing in him to make him stumble. Love the brothers, love God's family. At one level, it's an old command. Verse 7, that there in Leviticus, love your neighbor as yourself. And yet in one sense, it's a new command, given a new perspective and depth in Jesus. Indeed, it's uh, what Jesus says in John chapter 13, isn't it? A new command I give to you, love one another. It's the cross that really shows us what it means to love someone else. So we have this newness to it in Christ. But the real surprise isn't that uh, oh, we see this command particularly in Jesus. The real surprise here is in the middle of verse 8. I am writing you a new command. Its truth is seen in him. Oh, well, we know that. And you. Seen in you. God sees it in you. And you must be aware of ways in which this is true here. That you love God's family. There are people that you help out during the week. I saw some people being walked to church today. Brilliant. People that you pray with and for. The proportion of your address book or contacts list that are they're church family people. Because you want to stay in touch with them. The people that you've been away with or or the people whose weddings that you've been invited to over the years. Sometimes when we have a a newcomer at Christchurch Enclyffe and I chat to them after the service, the question that I tend to ask is, what brought you to church here today? And I find that it gets into a better conversation than if I say, how did you find the service or something like that, which also, if I ask it, is a bit like, how did I do, which isn't brilliant. Um, But what brought you to church, you can end up having some really good conversations. It allows them to go as deep as they want to as well. It struck me this week, actually, it's a great question to ask for someone who's been coming for years. What brought you to church today? What brought you to church today? There are some answers that wouldn't be great, habit probably aim to do better than that couldn't be duty that wouldn't be a brilliant answer either but I take it that for most of us the answer is because I like spending time with the people there because it's my family I, I, I love it I want to I want to be there I miss it when I'm not there and God says great that's it you love God's family we're not perfect at it you know you're not perfect at it we're like a a toddler trying to get the word out God says love my people and we go bub but he says yes bub that's what I said bub see bub (laughs) God knows that the spirits work of growing us in Christ-like love has started. It's not finished, but it's started. 
And so he delights. And when it starts like that, it, it, it helps. It spirals round and gets better and better. Verse 10, whoever loves his brother lives in the light and there's nothing in him to make him stumble. See, start being part of God's people, loving God's family, being loved by them, and it spurs us all on, doesn't it? Perhaps you know the story of the Scottish minister who went round to visit someone who dropped off from coming along to their church. And there was a, a good fire going in the living room. And so when they sat down, he got the, the tongs and lifted out one of the red-hot coals from the fire and set it on the, the hearth. And then without saying anything, just sat with them and watched as it slowly lost its heat and colour and turned black. And then he got the tongs again and picked it up and put it back in the fire. And then they watched again as its heat came back and it glowed red hot. And then said to them, it would be really good for us to see you at church again. And what's more, it would be good for you too. You love God's family. You love God's family. Great. Keep going. Next, uh, you don't love the world. It's verse 15 to 17, isn't it? Do not love the world or anything in the world, it starts. We might wrongly hear this as a sort of criticism section. Oh, I've got got a problem here. That's not the tone of it, though. This, This is a... Don't look down. They're not looking down, but you don't want them to look down, and so you say, don't look down, and here, don't love the world. The world here, everything that's opposed to God. And you can't love the world and God at the same time. And so comes this description of being against God, loving other things. Verse 16. The cravings of sinful man, the lust of his eyes, and the boasting of what he has and does. No, don't do that. Strikes me how similar that description is to Genesis 3. Remember the story of the first sin, where Eve sees the fruit that God's told them not to eat. And what does it say? It says that she sees that it's good for food, pleasing to the eye, and desirable for gaining wisdom. Very similar. Cravings of the flesh, lust of the eyes, boasting of what you have. This is archetypal sin. It's a way of describing all sinfulness. And to be a Christian is to be freed from it. You're not perfect, no, but you're freed from these things. Cravings of sinful man. So much of the world have natural appetites warped into addictions. Alcoholics, drug addicts, porn addicts, adrenaline junkies. People who pursue things that they crave, but which, like salt water, never take the thirst away. So they keep coming back to it again and again. But if you're a Christian, you no longer look to those things to satisfy you. When I was at university, I had a friend who was from Sheffield. Uh, he was a diehard Sheffield Wednesday fan. And through his teens, he'd been a season ticket holder, went to every away game on the coaches. And as he described what he was like in those years, he said that his mood for the entire week was dictated by 
how well the team had done on the weekend. And it could send them into a real, real grump if they'd done badly. He'd be riding high if they'd done well. But uh, he was a Christian now. He was still a fan, still knew all of the stats, knew what was going on. But he said, I'm not, it doesn't affect me the way that it used to. My mood on Wednesday does not depend on how Wednesday did on Saturday. And God says to that, great, you don't love the world. He still loved Wednesday, but he, he didn't crave, he didn't need it. He had something better. And so do you. Or the lust of the eyes, it says. Not just the sex stuff, this. This is covetousness, large. Covetousness which leads to idolatry, the Bible tells us. Needing what we see, longing for what we don't have. I was talking to someone from our church this week, trying to buy a house, not sure if it's going to go through, you know, all of those sort of stages. Uh, But they said, but we know that our real home is in heaven. And so we try not to get too wound up about this particular house. Great! That's it! That's not loving the world. Well, then there's boasting. Boasting of what he has and does, things we have, things we've done. Wanting a claim from others, seeking to impress others, just caring about that sort of thing. A Christian is loosened from that. The other week, one of my daughters was at a friend's house to play after school, and I went to pick her up, and I was talking with the dad, and I didn't really know him, but we were chatting for a bit, and uh, he, he kind of made it come up in conversation. He's some sort of accountant, and uh, in talking about it, he said, oh, yes, I, you know, I'm responsible for a £100 million budget. And I thought, oh, okay. But it was... It, was an un, it, it felt an unusual conversation to be in. I suppose I, most, a lot of my conversations are with Christians. I'm just used to people being self-effacing and humble and not, not trying to boast about stuff and brag like that. It was, it was odd. Why? Because well, we don't love the world. We're not perfect. We say bub. But God says, yes, you don't love the world, brilliant. Keep on, keep going. Because the world, it passes away, verse 17. Of course, don't look down at the house because the house won't last. Don't, don't look at the football team's results because they only have to wait another week and then there'll be a different one. Don't look at what people think of you. Because that can change. But what God thinks of you lasts forever. We've got something better. You've got something better, don't you? So hold on to that. Oh, you love God's family. You don't love the world. And then you know the truth. So it's verse 18 to 27. It's the biggest section. Um, Let's have a look at verse 21, which I think encapsulates the main point I do not write to you because you do not know the truth but because you do know it and because no lie comes from the truth they knew the truth so do you 
the truth of the gospel that Jesus is the Christ. And there are a whole load of people telling them that he wasn't. Uh, Verse 18, dear children, this is the last hour. And as you've heard that the Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have come. This is how we know it's the last hour. They went out from us, but they didn't really belong to us. For if they had belonged to us, they would have remained with us. But their going showed that none of them belonged to us. And then uh, verse 22, who is the liar? It's the man who denies that Jesus is the Christ. Such a man is the Antichrist. He denies the Father and the Son. The Antichrist, it's a a fairly unusual term in the New Testament. It's not one that's supposed to conjure up pictures from the latest horror film. These are quite ordinary people. Yes, the devil lying behind what they do. But people who just have a different message who say Jesus isn't the Christ. They're unavoidable. It's the last hour. Jesus said that people would come spreading lies until he returns. So let's not get phased by their existence or thrown by the fact that they speak. They're unmistakable. They depart from the gospel. They depart from the apostles' teaching. And they're incompatible. They don't belong. Not here. You've heard people who go against what we know about Jesus, who go against apostolic teaching, against the Bible's authority. People who say, oh, Jesus, he was just a good man. He didn't really do those miracles. Jesus is just a good example for us. And you hear that and you think, that's not right. Or there are people who say Jesus isn't enough. To be a real Christian, you need something else. You need this new teaching or this church experience or this spiritual power. And you hear that and think, no, I don't. Or you hear people who say the apostolic teaching in the Bible, it was okay back then. But we know so much more today. We have to adapt to fit in with the times. And you think, no, I don't. And God thinks, great, that's it. You know the truth. We know something better. We don't know it perfectly. We still got loads to learn. But we'll be learning about that truth more. Not something else. Uh, It's verse uh, 27. The anointing you receive from him remains in you. You don't need anyone to teach you. You don't need to learn anything new. You need the old truths more and deeper. Yeah, but, but we know the truth. We can spot the lies. And God sees it and delights at what he sees in you, his child. And so keep the truth in you, verse 24. See that what you've heard from the beginning remains in you. If it does, you also will remain in the Son and in the Father. Don't chase after what's new. Don't be taken in by the lies. Keep growing deeper in Christ.
It's encouraging, isn't it? What does God see when he sees you? What does he think of you? Perhaps you're here today, you're not yet a Christian. I hope you'll see from these verses, you'll see something of the fatherhood of God. See the sort of delight that he has for his people. The delight that he would have in you. If you, like us, put your trust in Jesus and through the Son come to the Father God who loves his children. Or if you're a Christian, and particularly if you're a Christian who, when you hear that question, what does God think when he sees you, your natural inclination and response is to think, oh, I'm, I'm a disappointment. When he sees me, he sees, oh, he sees all of, all of my sin. He sees all that is bad. Well, let God answer the question instead of you. Hear him say these words. Hear him say, yes, bub, you can do it. He's got work to do. But he knows it's begun and he knows that you're his. And so he says, keep going. Know the fatherly love of God. Let's pray together. How great the love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. Heavenly Father, we thank you for that love. We thank you for what you have done in us, what you've done for us. We thank you for what you think of us. Please help us to keep going, to delight in you, and to press on to the heavenly home that you have in store for us. In Jesus' name, amen.